Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to the Women Today podcast. This week we marked World AIDS Day as I had a tour of the island's gum clinic. We also discussed the sensitive topic of abortion as we looked into what Manx law does and doesn't allow when it comes to terminating a pregnancy. But amongst the serious, there was also some singing and there was some inappropriate laughter too. So let's start with what happened when we took part in our first ever music video. Now on Saturday morning, we were out in Douglas doing something a little bit different. Now you might remember a few weeks ago, we had the Ireland's X Factor star Simon Lynch on this show to make a special and I should say exclusive announcement. Simon, put us out of our misery. What are you up to? Well, my first project since leaving the show is I'm actually recording a charity single with the Manx Breast Cancer Support Group. And uh, which song is it? We are doing One Day Like This by Elbow. Okay, let's just remind ourselves of how that one goes. Well, at 10.30 on Saturday morning, we met Simon again and also the filming crew and the Manx Breast Cancer Support Group team at the Sea Terminal to take part in the recording and filming. They actually asked us to go along. We didn't just force ourselves upon them. Uh, We did take our microphones as well, and here is how we got on. First of all, with Kate speaking to Simon to see how it was all going. It's great. It's been so much fun so far. We've visited Nobles Hospital um, first, with sang with some of the nurses and the midwives up there. Um, they sounded great. Like, they can hold a tune. Yes from me. And then now we're down at the sea terminal, um, about to see who's going to turn up. And, yeah, it's a busy, fun-filled, action-packed day. It seems to be fairly busy already here. Yeah, um, I mean, it's been well publicised. Um, the charity Manx Press Cancer Support Group have been really on it with the marketing and the publicity for it. So, yeah, I know a lot of friends are coming down. A lot of people from work have said they're going to come down. And a lot of the school and theatre kids are coming down as well. So hopefully it'll be a nice, nice day. You're not sick of the song already then? No. Do you know, no, do you know what? Because I have only really been listening to it with some kind of synthy vocals. And, and then to actually have actual real human voices on it is great. It's, oh yeah, it's going to be it's so good. It's going to be great. Are you still certain that you want me, Joe, and Beth to be singing? Because I'm, I'm not gonna lie, a bit nervous. There are three microphones with your names on them. I can assure you of that. Okay, Joe. We are at the C terminal. It's pretty busy, isn't it? It is so busy. It's packed. I didn't expect this many people to be coming. Have you uh, done your vocal warm-ups? Are you prepared? Simon was just giving me a little bit of uh, advice before, and he said to me, I'm quite scared, because he said, I want you right next to the microphone. I'm going, no, 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 you just can't hear me sing like that. No way. Are you hoping that we'll get four yeses, though? (laughs) I reckon I might get one, if that. I'll give you a yes. Thanks, and don't think Beth will, so, you know, be good to get one from you. How are you feeling? Are you warmed up? Oh, yeah, I'm in good tune. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. (laughs) impressed. Yeah, very exciting. My children are in Platform Theatre Schools group. They've been excited all week to see Simon. Have they had a chance to say hello yet? Yeah, they had their photo taken with him earlier just outside Costa and Emily managed to get in the photo right next to him, so she's happy as Larry. So they all watched The X Factor, I assume? Yeah, they did. I think it's brilliant, isn't it, that they were getting the community involved in something like this? Oh, yes, very much so. I think the island is community-spirited anyway and especially at this time of year makes it more special and the cause the raising the funds for as well. Beth Espy, you've just arrived at the sea terminal. Are you surprised at how packed it is? Well, I was a bit worried I wasn't going to be able to find where it was. That worry dissipated as soon as I walked through the door. How many people are here? It's insane, isn't it? It's absolutely mental. Are they here to see us? I think this is very much all about women today, uh, less about Simon Lynch. There is a lot of pink in the room, that's all I'm going to say. Help! <laughs> right. Really easy. All you've got to be is better than doctors and nurses have already seen, and they were pretty awesome. But I know you guys could be fantastic. Hello, okay. Simon. Hello, Simon. Right, guys, we're about to go for the first take. How are you feeling? I mean, very confident. Do what you know the words, Beth? Um, the words. Yeah. I was, I was wondering, you know that thing where you mouth something, it looks like you're saying the words. Could I do? What was that word? Miming. No, but just like if you don't know the words and you sort of go na 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 na. I don't want to look really embarrassing na 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 I'm hoping we're going to be told the words I don't know them do you know them there's a lot of orchestral bits in it so we can go dum 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 oh yeah that's the tune it's looking like a beautiful day oh anyway it's looking like a beautiful day 
I'm Dave Armstrong and I'm the producer. That sounds very grand being the producer. It's actually a collaborative effort here today. You know, we're having a great day. We've, been, we've had all the individual singers in the studio singing, but this is when it really counts. Get me public, the community involved in singing along with such a... It's a really great song for a really great cause. Fantastic. We had, we had um, some nurses up the hospital. Um, that was fantastic. The kids were great. And it's going to going to be providing a fantastic soundscape for the record which would otherwise have been very studio based we tried our hardest the women today team i apologize now if you have to edit us out we could just hear the bum notes from the back i have a uh, special machinery and technology especially for your team that i'll uh, tweak and twiddle and tune so after all of today is finished you've got to do a little bit more mixing and getting the video together but when's it all going to be ready yeah, well, the plan is to have the recording mixed by early next week. Um, it has to go off for duplication, but also has to go off, hopefully, to iTunes, to be mastered for iTunes. Um, so that will be ready for early next week. The video will be probably uploaded in bits and pieces at the moment, but we'll be working on that straight away. And sometime early next week, middle of next week, we should have some stuff online. Consultant, Uncle Plastic Breast Surgeon at the Novels Hospital. Millie Bello, this is a slight career change for you today, singing in a music video. I think this is the way forward. <laughs> I've dumped the tools now. I'm a musician, part of Simon's team, supporting act. How's it all going? Fantastic. Who asks for better? What a wonderful island. We've built the unit. We're now kitting it up and hopefully come... January, February of next year, if everything goes to plan, we have a breast unit that is functional. And this is just a brilliant way of getting the whole island involved and doing something fun. Yes, exactly, because they've done it. It's the islanders that built the unit, not us. The islanders did it, so why not? I think that applause was just for us. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, they all looked round to the yeah. back row because we're because we're so tall. <laughs> they let us stand at the back. I did yeah, actually stand nice. next to the tallest person. I think in the room, it was just you know. But I think we did well. I was I was impressed. I have had that song stuck in my head mm-hmm. since Saturday, and every time it just about goes, I I hear it again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll be excited by it the time it comes out. It is one of those actually that you could sing the wrong words to. I might have done that, but I, I don't want to mention it in case Dave's listening and and he gets cross. So here we are, Amanda, in reception here at the GUM clinic in Nobles Hospital. This is the the first place people, your patients, come to. It is, yeah. I think this is probably the scariest place that people come to because when they walk through the doors, they don't know what's behind the doors. They've never been into our clinic before. So all patients have to come to our reception to to book into our clinic. So they will be greeted by one of our really friendly um, receptionists and asked to fill in a form giving all their personal details. And that's so we make up a personal file for them. Then they're given a PIN number, which protects their confidentiality so that their name or any of their details don't leave the clinic. So everything or anything that patients tell us remains confidential to our department. And when you do that booking process, you also create a password? We do, yeah. We ask people for um, a security password, just like you would for any internet access or anything like that. And that's a double security for us, because if people ring up um, and we ask for their name and their date of birth, other people are aware of that, for instance, parents or friends, and we would be very reluctant to give any information to anybody who can't provide the password that they've given to us. So it's an extra little bit of security that we've added. As you say, when people come in here, I I think one of the things people are worried about is is recognising someone or knowing someone or someone recognising them. There's one poster on your walls that really um, really says something about that, and it's it's a mobile phone with a big line through it. You don't allow mobile phones in reception. Um, we tr- we try not to allow mobile phones in our waiting area, and it's not because of the a phone that we we don't want people to you know use a telephone while they're in the clinic. It's actually photographic equipment. We've had one or two incidents where people have thought somebody was taking their photograph while while they were in the reception area. It wasn't the case. I think it was the other person's anxiety that somebody had got a phone out and they weren't sure what what they were were doing with it, you know. So we we try to have a general rule, no mobile phones, and then that kind of negates that risk. So is there such a thing as your kind of typical patient? I think a typical patient 
for, who's never been to our service before, I would say the only thing typical about them is that generally most of them are extremely nervous, frightened, worried about what's going to happen to them, worried because they've never been to the hospital on their own sometimes without their parents if they're very young. But as for a typical patient, we see young, middle-aged people who are a bit older, we see heterosexuals, we see homosexuals, we see every, every culture that there isn't now on the Isle of Man, we are welcoming to everybody. And what kind of issues or, or worries are they coming with? Most often the majority of our patients just want to have a checkup and they're just worried that they, they think they've put themselves at risk of getting an STI and I think they'll be, they're doing a really responsible thing by coming in and having a checkup. Do you think attitudes are changing towards sexual health? Are we being a bit more sensible and, I don't know, taking care of ourselves a bit more? I think there's more awareness of the service and I think lots more people use our service than they did when I first joined it. So our attendance numbers are going up. Whether that's because there's just more awareness or whether people are changing sexual partners more often than they ever used to, it might be a combination of both things. Hello, I'm uh, Pat Tattersall and I work on the reception and helping around in the office. Often people are anxious and um, so it's our job to try and put them at their ease and we offer them teas and coffees and um, usually by the time they've seen the health advisor or the doctor and they've come out, they are smiling and much more relaxed so it's nice to see that actually. So here I am, if I was your patient i've come in i've i've booked in i've created my pin number my password i've waited in reception where do we go next you'll be called into one of the examination rooms by either one of the doctors or one of the nursing staff and then you'll be asked what what are the reasons that you come into the clinic what can what can we do for you today usually is the first question and then we take it from there ask patients if they've got any symptoms has anyone asked them to attend have we asked them to attend because sometimes we contact people and ask them to come in so we've come into consulting room one, and I guess this is where all the testing takes place. Yeah, there are two consultation rooms, and they are where all the tests and all the blood tests are taken, and also where we keep our medication as well. So everything that you need is in this room once you come in for a consultation. So how do you actually conduct the tests? There are two separate testing procedures. One is what we call screening. So if somebody comes in, they have no symptoms whatsoever, we can do what we call a screening test and that means that they don't have to be examined. The testing is non-invasive so for girls they can do a self-taken swab and for the males they can just do a urine sample. And what's that testing for? Those tests are specifically for chlamydia and gonorrhea. And then on top of that, everybody that comes to clinic is offered a blood test, a routine screening test for HIV, hepatitis B and C and syphilis. There are our standard screening tests. Hi there, my name's Rose Headley and I'm a registered nurse working in GUM. My role is on a clinical basis, supporting the, um, the doctors and the um, health advisors uh, with clinical procedures, but also we as registered nurses undertake a lot of work behind the scenes, um, so we work quite hard looking for patients' results, making sure we get the results of any investigations they've had done as soon as is practically possible. The other set of tests that we offer would be for anybody who perhaps has some symptoms. So for a female, if you came in and you had some symptoms, we would offer an examination, some swabs taken, and we do slides, um, what we call microscopy slides, which are examined in the laboratory in clinic here. And we can get some results in about 15 minutes following those tests. So we can't see everything, but it would give us a good clue as to whether the person needs treatment on the day that they come to clinic. Do they test for additional things? They do, yeah. So the, the baseline chlamydia and gonorrhea would still be done, and we would add to that tests for things like thrush. Lots of, lots of females get thrush. There's another condition called bacterial vaginosis, which is very common as well. And we do another test for something which is not very common in the Isle of Man, but we test for it, um, and that's a condition called trichomonas. And what about the men? So the men, again, if they, if they had some symptoms, we offer an examination and we would do a swab from the water passage. We don't do that very often. I mean, a lot of young men are frightened of coming to the clinic because they've heard this horrible story about what we do with umbrellas and things like this, which is a complete myth. Now and again, we do um, a swab from the, the male water passage and we put that onto a slide and that goes into the laboratory for examination so we can see on the day when, when they come to clinic if they've got any signs of infection. Women Today, brought to you by citywing.com for your next flight away.
Now, when we posted last night on the Women's Day Facebook page that we were going to talk about our next subject today, we received a message saying it's about time. Abortion has been all over the news recently, particularly in relation to Northern Ireland. Now, basically, Northern Ireland's strict abortion laws could be relaxed after a judge found they were in breach of human rights. As it stands there, abortions are only allowed if the life or mental health of the mother is in danger. But a judge at Belfast High Court has ruled women should be able to have a termination if they're victims of incest or rape or if the baby has a fatal illness. Virginia McVeigh is the director of the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission, which brought about the legal challenge. It's a landmark ruling that changes the lives of women and girls in Northern Ireland and their trauma won't be added to by having to find support and travel costs to go to England to get an abortion. Well, Northern Ireland's Attorney General says he's considering an appeal following the legal ruling that women's human rights are being breached by current abortion laws. And Bernadette Smythe from the Precious Life Pro-Life Group says they're reviewing the decision. Abortion is a crime here in Northern Ireland and we would hope that our Northern Ireland politicians will take time out to reflect on this judgment and will continue to represent the views of the people here. Well, it got us thinking about the law here on the Isle of Man and really how much people know about it. So we went to the Department of Health and Social Care, who said... The island's Termination of Pregnancy Medical Defences Act 1995 allows terminations where it is necessary to preserve the woman's life, the fetus is unlikely to survive birth or is seriously handicapped, the latter only up to 24 weeks, or within 12 weeks of conception if the pregnancy is caused by rape, incest or indecent assault. It would seem from this that the Isle of Man law is more extensive than that of Northern Ireland and that it provides for terminations in the circumstances in contention in the Northern Ireland case, i.e. rape, incest and fetal malformation. And when we asked them if any are ever carried out here on the island, we were told... I believe that some terminations are carried out in the Isle of Man under the 1995 Act, but the numbers each year are small, in single figures. Now, to be honest, this really seemed to contradict what I actually thought about this. I was under the impression that no abortions were ever conducted on the island. But we then asked Dr John, the Women Today resident GP, what happens if you go and see your doctor and say you want to terminate your pregnancy? This is what he told us. This is something that many GPs find difficult. It's one of the few areas of medicine which consistently causes most debate. My views will necessarily be personal, but I suppose the broad answer is that, in contrast with the rest of the UK, abortion is still illegal on the island, and so GPs, in a sense, have a simpler job, in that there is no choice but to ask the patient to make arrangements to be seen off-island, usually with the British Pregnancy Advisory Service. I personally like to try to get them to articulate how they have come to the decision, whether they have properly thought through alternatives, including sharing care of the baby, adoption, etc., I try to do so despite a strongly held belief, supportively and non-judgmentally. Well, we have received a lot of your thoughts on this subject. Please do keep them coming in. Should the abortion law on the Isle of Man be expanded to include the termination of unwanted pregnancies? Should we put ourselves in line with the UK? Or is what we have at the moment an adequate service? Text your thoughts and experiences to 166177. You can email womentoday at manxradio.com. Of course, you can remain anonymous if you wish. You can also go to the Women Today Facebook page where this conversation is ongoing. Well, one person did get in touch with us to share their story, and Kate has it for us. A very close friend of mine called me up one day and told me she was pregnant. It was a complete surprise to her and me, as she had used contraception. At the time, I was living in the UK, but she lived in the Isle of Man. She knew straight away she wanted an abortion. She wasn't ready to raise a child. She consequently spent hundreds, if not thousands of pounds, to get to the UK to take two tablets. I immediately got in the car and drove from Somerset to be with her. She knew immediately she wasn't ready to be a mum and at that time couldn't give a child the life it deserved. There was never any doubt she would get an abortion, but the money, the physical displacement, being taken away from her home and family made the experience a stressful and emotional one. I was glad to be with her, but many people have to go through this ordeal alone. Many more can't afford it and they simply don't have a choice. I think it is an obstruction of human rights to stop anyone from choosing whether they are ready or not to have a child. My friend can't wait to have children. One day, when she's ready. And we've had another listener experience read here by Chris Cave. 
A number of years ago, I started going out with someone from the Southern Hemisphere who was working in the Isle of Man. A couple of months after we started seeing each other, she told me she was pregnant, but had already taken the decision to have an abortion. I was fine with this, as it would have been wholly impractical for us to have a child given the short amount of time we had been together. There was also the matter of personal circumstances. She wasn't going to be on the Isle of Man forever, and our relationship was, or had been, relatively casual at the time. She was incredibly pragmatic about the whole thing, and so was I. At the time, it was an emotional thing to do, obviously more for her than it was me, as she was the one having to have the procedure, but I don't regret it in the slightest and never really think about it. The relationship didn't last for more than about six months after that, then she went back home. I can't imagine what things would be like now if we had decided to go through with having a child, when it would have been wholly inappropriate for us to do so under the circumstances. I find it ridiculous and somewhat backwards the Isle of Man still, years later, does not allow abortion, unless under very strict circumstances, rape, incest, etc. I also find it outrageous that, in this day and age, the Church can still hold so much sway over the issue when, frankly, such a decision is nothing to do with it or the dogma which it peddles. When it comes to the matter of abortion, I think what happens with a person's body should be their decision and theirs alone. Reasons for having an abortion or not should be rational and personal and not swayed by people who believe in fairy tales. OK, let's open this one to the studio. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I think it's clear that there's a, a lot of confusion around it. And um, so to, to boil it down to my understanding, I understand that very few abortions are actually conducted on the island. And when they are, it is purely for medical reasons or because it was a product of, of incest or rape. Therefore, nearly all abortions are conducted off-island and social abortions, so basically that unwanted pregnancy that we're talking about, is still illegal here. Now, I am incredibly pro-choice. I believe that a woman has the right to choose what happens to her body, but I also do appreciate that there has to be you know, constraints about time limits and that sort of thing on it as well. But for me, personally, I don't believe the current service on the Isle of Man provides women with that fundamental choice. Yeah, I'm with you, Kate, entirely there. I do believe it's a woman's right. And, um, you know, I think we should legalise abortion over here. Um, you know, until we actually had this discussion, I uh, saw it on Facebook, we discussed what we were going to talk about today. I didn't even realise myself that it was illegal here. I didn't know. Um, you know, and I think for me, it just shows the Isle of Man, once again, is actually behind the times. Well, that's interesting, Joe, because you've actually been out asking people on the street this morning for their thoughts on this, and lots of them didn't realise the situation either. Here are some of their thoughts. We don't want any unwanted children in this world. Children need a, a willing parent and um, you know to not have that is a disaster as far as I'm concerned. I think these days there's no need for young girls not to have babies is there? They, they've got the pill so I think some more should be done about that you know. It's not necessarily always younger women though that need oh, to perhaps have an abortion. Genuine, if it's genuine reason there's something wrong then yes, but no, I'm not really for it, no. I think it should be changed because I have a child with autism and it's really hard from a day-to-day -day basis coping with the demands that they require. And I think if I had a choice, I don't know what that would be, but I think people should have a choice. Because we have to go to the UK for everything. Why can we not just do it here? It's, it's a person's right to do it, so... If that's how they feel, what's the difference? It just costs more. There's probably unwanted pregnancies here because of that. Absolutely. I think a woman is entitled to do what she wants to do. Leave aside the church and things like that. Uh, if she wants it aborted, she should be allowed to. I don't know, I suppose in certain, certain circumstances maybe, but I, I'm probably against abortion, I'd say, for myself. So, yeah, I, I, I don't agree with it, but I guess in certain, certain circumstances it might be the best option. Well, I, I think that the law should be the same as it is in England. Um, and I don't know a great deal about it, to be quite honest, but um, most of our laws are sort of with, with England, aren't they? If they're going to do it, have, have to have it done, should be over here. Well, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's a mother's right of uh, a passage, really. Uh, it's got something that's going inside her, so it's... Entirely down to her. Some of the thoughts uh, from people on the street this morning. You know, we described this subject as sensitive yesterday. Um, I think that's because people tend to have very strong views on it one way or the other. But personally, I don't think it's anything that someone can decide on unless they find themselves in that position. And I 
feel totally blessed that I've I've never had to go through anything like this. But it has happened to a couple of, of really close friends of mine, one who had something seriously wrong with her baby and another who found herself pregnant at a very young age and was just not in any position to go through with it. The emotions in in both cases were extreme, but I feel very strongly that the choice does need to be there and whatever can be done to minimise the trauma really should be done. I think that, I to pick up on what you say about trauma, I think the part of it that really causes me the most concern, I suppose, is, is about leaving the island. And um, I am absolutely nowhere near ready to have a child. I think that's obvious. I'm not in a relationship. I'm not independent. I don't think that right now I could be a good parent and I don't think if I found myself in a position where I was pregnant that I could take that child to full term and then go through adoption. I really just don't think I could do it. So speaking hypothetically, I um, I actually looked up what I would have to do if, to terminate a pregnancy if it happened to me right now, today. And I know it, it's completely not all about finances, but I looked it up and it would cost me, for the procedure alone, somewhere between £565 and £1,725. Plus approximately, you know, £80, £90 on the boat, plus more if I needed to stay overnight in a hotel. You're talking at least £650, possibly even more than £2,000. And also, that's that's just for me to be on my own with somewhere that I don't know to go through something like that and I just think it is horrific that we as the Isle of Man make people go through that and leave their home to have such an experience. Exactly I again in agreement with you there because when you're leaving the island you're leaving your comfort you're leaving your support that's around you and I'm absolutely convinced that this is at a time when you need that around you the most you know you need your fans friends you need your family you need to be in your own home environment as well because um, it's not it's a medical it's it's something that's happening to your body therefore you're going to have to rest afterwards and you don't want to be getting on a boat the other thing of course is you know the trauma if the boat is delayed or if the boat is cancelled or the planes and the weather stops you from being able to get to that appointment time as well do you know i can't help thinking that having to leave the island almost brings with it a sense of shame as well which is just you know an added unnecessary pressure i think in that situation and and on the back of that shame of having to leave the island you have you know the shame of doing something that your own home doesn't consider a legal action Let's play devil's advocate, though. You can be put forward for an abortion if it is a product of rape or incest. So surely that is something. Yes, I think that is something. But I'm sure Paula Gelling from Victim Support can back me up on this. If you look at the statistics on how many uh, rapes go unreported, I think that's quite telling when so many go unreported. So in order to terminate a pregnancy, after going through that in the first place, you then have to talk about the fact you were raped. And I just think surely we should be protecting women who have been in that vulnerable position already and not forcing them to talk about something if they don't want to. Paula Gelling, your thoughts? Uh, And I think you're right. You know, people should have the choice and it's difficult enough if they've been a victim of crime um, to sort of have that um, choice sort of forced upon them. Um, So they should be able to have that choice. And in the UK where we tend to mirror the legislation here in the Isle of Man, we haven't got that same mirror legislation. We have had lots of comments about this. Keep them coming in. You can email womentoday at manxradio.com or you can text uh, 166-177. Yeah, the first we've had is uh, from Catherine. It's absurd that in the 21st century, girls and women in the Isle of Man are forced to either travel to the UK or keep an unwanted pregnancy. It's not talked about and a horrifying shock to those who suddenly find themselves in need. Are teenagers taught in school that their rights over their bodies are lesser here than in the UK? So safe sex is even more important. I just want to say, obviously, I think it's important to note that we are actually, for once in the studio, um, probably in quite a lot of agreement with each other. And um, I think it's also clear that the comments we've had on Facebook are often in agreement with us. We are purely reflecting the the points of view we've had forward. And we, we do want to hear if you completely disagree with us too. But Jennifer on Facebook said, we were one of the first countries to give women the vote. Why are we now being so slow to give women control over their own bodies? And Becky said, it is horrifying that in 2015, we are on the 
list of countries where a woman's access to safe abortion is restricted. It is the business of no one else what decisions a woman makes over her own body. I cannot for a second imagine that the decision to terminate a pregnancy is one that anyone would take lightly. Hopefully we won't be stuck there for too much longer. Open discussions like this are only going to help bring this very serious issue into the public domain, she says. What is painfully obvious is that the accurate information out there is shockingly lacking. That can only change by open and frank discussion and will help to drag us into the 21st century. And Andrea says, I've discussed this with a few friends before and they've all been shocked to find out it's illegal for women to decide for themselves here. This is an archaic law and does not belong in modern society. Making the decision is difficult enough without having to leave your friends and family and travel to the UK to get help. But we did say we want to hear from all sides of this story and we've had an email to the studio which says, I am totally opposed to abortion apart from in exceptional circumstances such as rape, fatal illness, etc. It punishes the unborn child who committed no crime. On another note, abortion should not be used as another form of contraception. As for Kate's comments, for women who demand complete control of their body, control should include preventing the risk of unwanted pregnancy through the responsible use of contraception. There is no such thing as an unwanted child. I know in America there are about a million and a half families waiting to adopt a child. Abortion can also cause intense psychological pain and stress. I would say um, that I was on the streets doing the Vox and talking to people and actually a lot of the people that didn't want to comment at the time was because of religious reasons that they actually opposed to abortion. So there was quite a lot of people that weren't willing to speak um, to me, but it was because of religious beliefs. And to go back to the uh, the, the email we'd had in, um, I completely appreciate that. You should, of course, practice safe sex. I don't think that's uh, up for discussion here. But the fact is, you know, we, we're always being told condoms 99%, the pill 96%. They're is that window of people making a mistake and still practicing safe sex. Karen's texted to say, what about the rights of the unborn baby to choose to live? Lots of talk about the mother's rights. Also not mentioned is the physiological and psychological and emotional impact of knowing that you have ended a life. We protect our vulnerable children. Why are unborn children in a different category? Because they are an inconvenience. I suggest this is not their fault. Yeah, Amy says, I have so many friends who found themselves in the position of needing an abortion and having to spend thousands of pounds to go to the UK to pay for the procedure aged 16 to 18. As if having an abortion wasn't a traumatic enough thing for a woman or girl to go through, adding all of that on top of it made it a million times worse. As women, being able to have a say over our own bodies should be part of our human rights. And Susie says, well how shocked am I to discover that the Isle of Man's abortion laws don't seem to consider a woman capable of determining whether or when it's appropriate to embrace a pregnancy. If not her, who else should have the responsibility? And Becky says, it's awful. It's 2015 and we still can't choose. Not to mention the teenage pregnancy rate is one of the highest in Europe here and I think this has a whole lot to do with it. And Pam says abortion should be the woman's choice alone but she should at least be able to have such a traumatic procedure at home and be amongst her family and friends. Don't forget birth control does not always work. Also any decent humane interpretation of religion would surely show concern and not bigotry against anyone faced with the decision to have an abortion. No one knows what reasons there may be. Women Today, brought to you by CityWing.com for your next flight away. This is Women's Day on Manx Radio with me, Kate Holland, Joe Pack, and our guest today is the author of The Relate Guide to Sex and Intimacy and relationship therapist, Kate Campbell. Kate, I'm going to apologise now if I am already blushing because I just do think that sometimes talking about sex can be simply quite embarrassing, a bit awkward... I mean, how do you get people in that initial stage to just open up and start talking about it? Um, I suppose I'm used to doing it, so talking about it. And so it's very... Um, <laughs> OK. <laughs> sorry. That, um, I, yeah, I'm used to talking about it, and therefore, so, so it, it makes it seem easier for the clients, I guess, if, if I'm not embarrassed um, as well. So it, 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 and often it's quite fun. Um, you, you know that they laugh and and those kinds of faux pas like I just made do tend to um, to creep in and you don't they just you don't, slip out yeah. yeah oh dear sorry I'll come up <laughs> um, oh god right we're uh, gonna stop it we're going up come on <laughs> Yes. And so it can be a bit like that, but not but it doesn't have to be. And I mean, this is a this is a serious business, obviously. And and people and we obviously take our clients very, very seriously um, and their problems very seriously. So so I guess we build a relationship and it makes it easier. So what kind of, of 
issues are people coming to you with when it comes to the kind of sexual counselling? Well, there are they 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 tend to have physical issues um so that they want help with that if it's just general intimacy issues then they can see an ordinary relationship counsellor but the psychosexual therapists work with the more physical things do, do the physical often link to the the psychological and the mental yeah they, they, i mean they they go together inevitably because once something's gone wrong then you start to worry about it going wrong again and then then it just grows and grows when it comes to both relationship counselling and the psychosexual side, is it ever too late for people to look for help? No, because my oldest couple was nearly 90 and um, it's it's never too late. It's it's always possible to do something about your relationship and about your sex life. We have had a text from John who says, what if one partner can't be bothered with making an effort to stay close? And how often should a middle-aged couple be having sex? Well, it depends what you mean by sex, I suppose. And it, it's really, it re- will vary from couple to couple. But a lot of people don't take seriously things like a lovely kiss or flirting or... Um, or, or arousal generally or a, a bit of a bit of sex rather than the whole thing um, and and that those are all means of sexual expression and if you're tired or if you're if, if it's an effort or, or 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 there's a problem with the relationship you can work to notice what is working for you what is going well rather than focusing on what isn't happening and that's definitely going to help the relationship along we mentioned just earlier about the pressure that can be put on a kind of specific date night or a time in the diary but i was wondering about other myths that kind of surround sex and intimacy because there does seem to be a lot of pressure from from sources outside of the two of you there absolutely are and people are just under pressure they they think that everybody else is having a wonderful time swinging from the chandeliers and they think that they ought to be doing things that and that just puts pressure they put pressure on themselves and particularly when you've got little children or um, you're really really busy it's very very difficult to fit in intimacy and sometimes people get pushed apart because they're worried that a cuddle will lead to, to more and they need to have a conversation where they say look this isn't going to go anywhere let's just have a cuddle because intimacy is lost altogether when you get to that stage but if they go on holiday or they're a bit more relaxed it all comes back again is that what it boils down to then really that kind of open dialogue the ability to talk and understand one another absolutely but it but as you said before it's embarrassing it's it's difficult it's um it, it it's, it's everything you don't want it to be it's really really tough to um try and t- talk about something so personal and so you have to be brave you so really do do you try and guide couples to talk to each other about what it is that they like how they like to be touched how they like to be felt do you actually give them guidance on that uh, well they they certainly learn to do that if they have sex therapy but the, one of the most important things is is learning what um yes what they like to do rather but people have really focused on how to please their partner and on performance and we try and take the emphasis away from performance and and get get them interested in what they like what just what they like we've had a few questions from listeners which we'll come to in a second but i just wondered from you know, we often hear about how pornography and the easy access to it is having a detrimental effect, particularly on young people and mm. how they view sex and intimacy. And I just wanted to get your opinion on that whole kind of argument, really. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree. It is having a detrimental effect. I mean, at the moment, we have never seen so many people addicted to porn. It's 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 just reaching epidemic proportions and personally i'd like to see um guidelines government guidelines on how long you should spend on the internet looking at porn because if you look at it for too long it changes your brain uh, very very quickly and you have hormones produced which sort of fight each other so it becomes very difficult to have normal if you want to call it that sex when you are using a lot of porn and it happens so quickly and i would say no more than an hour a day and no more than three days a week what about sex addiction? Because that's something that we often see in in the media as well. And there's often an argument that it's it's a real addiction that needs to be taken seriously. Yeah, it is. And others saying that it's it's no, an no, excuse. No. no, it's a real addiction. It really is, and it often starts with porn and escalates. And because because you get to a stage where it's difficult to have partnered sex, people sometimes seek sex workers or something like that, and it and they find themselves doing all sorts of things they would never have dreamed of, and it happens. In no time at all. What Very about scary. When, what about when the film Fifty Shades of Grey came out? Yeah, how does that put pressure on other people to do things differently? Perhaps 
do you know, I don't know because I haven't seen it. I just hated the idea of it um, because, because I mean, I suppose the book is one thing because it's about fantasy, whereas the film appeared to be about um, an abusive relationship, which I just didn't like the idea of. Um, so I, I, I suppose, I, I suppose people may feel that there's pressure to to do something like that, but I think it's more. I think I'm all for fantasy, but not for just abusive all, relationships. Just all the new toys and everything that they had. Oh, well, you know, yeah. you hadn't seen before. You think, oh. Should I be using that? Is that what I should be doing? Only only if you want to. We're going to talk now about inappropriate laughter. I, of course, would never be guilty. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, I would never be guilty of this, but spare a thought for the Fox News reporter who was in trouble after she appeared to laugh during a live news report. Now the story it, Don't oh, laugh about oh, it but It is quite funny though because the story was about the death of a burglar <laughs> Speaking of inappropriate laughter. It's not, it's not. Who died He died after getting stuck in a chimney when the homeowner unknowingly lit a fire oh. You feel her pain don't I do. you? I do um, but yeah we just wondered what uh, gives you the giggles no matter how out of place um, that poor presenter stifled giggles as she read a script and did get into trouble for it. I mean, sometimes, though, you just can't help it, can you, Kate? I, I can, Beth, that's the thing. Can okay. you? Uh, well, uh, no. In fact, um, if we have a look through the blooper reel at Manx Radio, there's a huge number <laughs> of different um, entries uh, by uh, Elizabeth Espy, um, such as uh, this one. And a Florida woman discovered the image of Jesus on a crisp. Rosalie Lawson was about to bite into the sour cream and onion potato chip as she watched the television when she suddenly spotted the image. I showed it to my husband Jerry, she said, and he was pretty amazed too. Deeply religious, Mrs Lawson is now pondering what to do. It's sitting in a jar in the kitchen while we decide, she said. We may sell it. I'm not really sure. Six months ago, another Florida woman who discovered an image of the Virgin Mary on her toasted cheese sandwich. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sold it for fifteen thousand pounds on eBay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you ready to take on the weather? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. Mostly cloudy overnight with some hill fog developing. Lowest temperatures 10 Celsius, that's 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Dry but often cloudy at first tomorrow with some hill and coastal mist in the north and west. Becoming brighter by lunchtime with sunny intervals developing. Afternoon temperatures 17 Celsius, that's 63 degrees Fahrenheit. The outlook for Saturday, cloudy but mostly dry. <sighs> cloudy with hill fog and periods of rain which may be heavy at times this evening and tonight. A light south or southeast wind and a minimum temperature around 12 Celsius or 54 degrees Fahrenheit. For last minute holidays. It's just coming up to 10 to 6 and here's Edward Oldham. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for remembering my name. It's only been four years that we've worked together and how many years at school together. But never mind, on Monday PM this sport. Thanks, Alex. I think the point is, right, the point is sometimes when you're taking your job so seriously, occasionally you can have a little lapse. I mean, talking about inappropriate laughter, I did feel a little inappropriate, Cheryl Cousins, since we're just talking about the importance of your faith to you. But as a person who obviously has to take a, a, a stance of responsibility as a minister sometimes, has this ever happened to you? I can't remember one. Be honest, no, Cheryl. I, I'm going to tell. No, I can't remember one. I tell one that somebody's told me of a coffin when, um, you know, at the end when you you put um, the sort of scatter the um, sand back in, and it'd been raining really, really heavily, and as they they'd realised there was going to be a problem with the um, actual, actual putting the coffin into the ground, they'd had to pump all the time, frantically pumping out. And as they lowered the coffin and then they scattered it, you just said, and at that point it was just standing, this vision of little yellow ducks coming up and around it. So there are, there are points where, yeah, but it wasn't my experience, that one. So I feel safe in sharing that one with you. <laughs> Um, uh, there seems to be a bit of a theme to some of these inappropriate <laughs> laughter stories because we've had an email uh, that says during a prayer at a church service to celebrate my grandparents' golden wedding anniversary when my dad, a minister, my husband, my sister, my brother-in-law and me burst into barely contained giggles when the preacher told us that God was with us everywhere even when we were on the job. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure why no one else laughed unless they weren't listening. <laughs> oh, I've had a, a text in from Ian who says, 
I can't think for a moment of giggles at an inappropriate time personally, but I do remember your very own Chris Williams, a uh, very well-known face to us here uh-huh. at Mike's Radio. A number of years back, he was reading out an obituary live on air, and the poor chap whose obituary it was had a nickname which Chris had to read out, and all through it he was practically crying with laughter but had to keep going. I'm sure Chris remembers it fondly, and I do hope the bereaved family took it well. There is something about those uh, moments of pressure. I'm not uh, looking at anyone in particular, Alex. Yeah, I think... Um, but, we can't mention that one. No, I'm not going to mention it on air. Yes, I did mess up a live obituary once um, accidentally. Nothing to do with the person's name, but um, where the cremation was taking place. I think it was the end of live obituaries. I think we pre-record them now, just yeah. in case. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just find... I, I think it's quite a human thing to do, quite frankly. If, if you listen through some of our archives, all of it's inappropriate laughing. You know, having done maybe mm. serious um, stories, or maybe a serious weather forecast... Um, with the, the the forecaster about the fact that there's storms on the way and then forgetting to turn your microphone off and going bye like this Stanley at the microphone at the, uh, the weather forecaster I was just being polite I didn't even say it was you oh. but well well admitted there um, I, yeah I, I don't think there's a problem with inappropriate laughter you, you, you're human really after all yeah and, and that's the you know the message I'm trying to get across that you're human yeah yeah yep got that think any long-term condition that is preventable is of concern. So I think the message for World AIDS Day this year is prevention. It's always prevention. It's estimated that for every diagnosis that has been made, there's 25% of people with HIV are probably undiagnosed. So early detection, early treatment is the way forward. What happens here when you do find that someone is HIV positive? I mean, that is a life-changing diagnosis. It is a life-changing diagnosis. I think HIV is different in that for, for every other condition I've ever nursed throughout my nursing career, no other condition has the stigma associated with HIV and the distress that people go through because they're worried about society, their friends, their family, knowing their condition sets it apart from anything else, I think. Most people who would come to hospital and have a diagnosis of a, of a serious condition would immediately turn to their family and friends for support, and that's not always the case with people with HIV, and that's what I found most distressing about it. Because actually, the condition of HIV now is so manageable. The, the medication has transformed people's lives. People are living healthily with HIV now. It isn't a death sentence like it used to be. It's a manageable long-term condition. It's all the other associated psychological and social problems that come with the diagnosis. I'm Katrina Farrant, a locum doctor in genital urinary medicine. So what do you do here, Katrina? I do a mixture of things. I see patients who come in for checkups to rule out sexually transmitted infections. I see people who've got rashes or skin problems in the genital area or pain in the genital area. I decide who might need to see the consultant about their problems. I follow up patients who the nurses might have seen that they want a second opinion on. I offer contraception at times. We offer emergency contraception. Is this an area of medicine that you've always been interested in? I've been a GP for over 20 years now and sexual health forms a really big core part of general practice and as a female GP I seem to attract a lot of female patients so yes it does become a very big part of our work and I've always had an interest in sexual health and well-being. You mentioned skin conditions because I think there is a misconception that the GRM clinic only deals with sexual health. What kind of skin conditions do you see here? I see a lot of patients who have the common skin conditions that you might see elsewhere, eczema, dermatitis, fungal infections but we also see patients with very specific skin conditions that you can get elsewhere in the mouth or the arm or the foot that appear in the genitals, psoriasis or some unusual ones like lichen planus as well. You mentioned before about um, asking someone with a diagnosis of any STI for previous sexual partners and the fact that you can contact them if, if they would rather not do it themselves. Does it ever get to a point where you're kind of mapping the Isle of Man? Are you drawing up charts linking everyone together? Um, n- not quite like that, but... <laughs> It, it can be very interesting listening to people's sexual history and get, getting names and putting pieces of a jigsaw puzzle together really to make sure that all the contacts that need to come in come in really and it's a question of we ask quite definite questions about when people's last sexual contacts were and the time before that so that we can make a, a picture of a time frame because timing is important as to who needs to come into the clinic to be tested. Hi my name's Jo Parsons and I'm a registered nurse and I work part-time in the GUM clinic. Jo one of the things people keep saying to me here is that it's non-judgmental. How do you achieve that? 
I think you have to be very um, open and friendly towards the staff and you have to think that how they must feel as a patient so you don't you, n- you never give the impression of anything you never look shocked you never because you can't be shocked in this role i've come through now to the laboratory there is a man in a white coat hi i'm, I'm david frost i'm a biomedical scientist i work in microbiology what does that mean basically we take all the the body fluids and the bits and pieces that people don't really want anymore and we culture them and we have a look at them and we try and identify if there are any infections or any parasites or anything like that present for them. So here at the GUM clinic, what are you typically looking for? Within a GUM setting, what we're really looking for is Neisseria gonorrhea, Trichomonas vaginalis, and we also look for a, an imbalance in the vaginal flora called bacterial vaginosis, which is, is probably where I think the other gum staff would agree is probably where we're most helpful. Things like Neisseria gonorrhea and Trichomonas vaginalis are quite rare, and quite often they can be diagnosed symptomatically anyway and we simply confirm the diagnosis for them. In patients that are not symptomatic, often we have to use more sensitive tests anyway and the tests we would do here would not be sensitive anyway. So can you talk me through it then? What happens after someone has had the testing done in the consultation room? Right, well basically I will get a a set of slides in here which will look like that. Uh, The slides will be taken over to our automatic stainer where we will do a gram stain, which makes everything go pretty colours. And then we will take a look at them and observe them. And what we'll look for is we'll look for white cells and we'll look for the presence or absence of any bacteria in them. And I'm assuming you look through a microscope. We have the microscopes here. We have the standard microscope here and the inverted microscope, which we use for looking at urines. So we have these slides in front of us. We say, first of all, these are unidentifiable. Oh, yes. Yeah, totally, totally unidentifiable. I mean, all we have on here is a series of numbers, which is, is pretty meaningless, really, to anybody. But us, in fairness, it's pretty meaningless to me. I'm going to stick it under here. So when you're looking at an individual slide, do you know what um, infection or condition you are looking to identify already? Really, it comes through here, and all the tellers when it comes through here is that it's something symptomatic. We're only looking for really, we're only looking for a very slim band of organisms. It's not like in a, a main microbiology laboratory where you can be looking for a plethora of organisms. It could be virtually anything that's pathogenic. Whereas down here, we are looking really in these films purely for Neisseria gonorrhea, really, against the backdrop of normal flora. We may also see the backvag or the bacterial vaginosis, which is the imbalance, but that tends to jump out at you because it's wrong. You look at so many that are right, and then you look at something that's wrong, and it it just jumps out. So is that slide all set up now? It will be in a minute. What we're looking at, I mean, all this is really showing is these white cells. This this shows there might be some sort of infection present. It could be, most likely, it could be something like chlamydia or something like that. What you will see down there is a load of little blobs, with little blobs living inside them. Take a look down there, you should be able to see them. Okay, we'll we'll see. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, I can see pretty much, yeah, just just blobs, just pink blobs. I have no idea what I am looking at. I think this might take some training. (laughs) Well, it's... Once you, once you get your head round it, it's not too bad. It's, once you start knowing what you're looking for. Well, I'm back now in reception. Amanda, what happens when people come to the end of their time here? Where do they? What happens next? Once they've had all their tests or medication, treatment, advice, they're either asked to come back for a review appointment, depending on why they're here. If it's just a routine checkup, often we just give them a little piece of paper which tells them what they've been tested for, and usually most people get their results by text. So once they're finished and it's a routine appointment, that's the end product, really, the text that's telling them about their test results. Thanks, as always, to everyone who joined us on the show this week. And you can catch up with any of the programmes in full for seven days at viamanxradio.com or join us live every weekday from just after two o'clock. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.